Six things that SEOs need to know about growth planning with Ken Marshall. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all in one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. What has growth planning got to do with SEO? And what can SEOs learn from growth planning? That's what we're discussing today with a man who's been battling Google and helping brands grow through sustainable SEO and content strategies for the last seven years. He's founded several of his own businesses and is currently Chief Growth Officer and Managing Partner at RevenueZen. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, Ken Marshall. Hey, David. Uh, Thanks for having me. And that was a fabulous introduction. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Well, Let's hope that uh, you consider the rest of the content fabulous as well. I'll ask for your judgment at the end and we'll see how it goes. But uh, you can find Ken over at RevenueZen.com. So, Ken, what does growth planning have to do with SEO? Yeah, we touched on this beforehand, but I think the long and short of it is, you know, SEOs, I think, tend to get overexcited and over-index on tactics and specific technical implementations versus in today's climate, particularly for B2B, it's really about aligning to business objectives and focusing on how you affect those business metrics like customer acquisition, revenue sourced from organic, customer lifetime value, those sorts of things. And I think aligning there is how you really win um, with SEO and uh, with the clients that you serve. So today you're sharing six things that SEOs need to know about growth planning, starting off with number one, shareholders have expectations around ROI planning. Yeah, it's almost like we talked about these beforehand, but perfect segue, right? It's like, you know, I used to be sort of tentative to say, oh, revenue, customer acquisition when planning an SEO campaign. But now the campaign doesn't start until we understand those expectations. Really, again, it's about alignment. If you understand how much money the client's trying to make, how many leads they're trying to generate. You can tailor your tactics specifically to that. So at the beginning of the engagement, try to help them forecast and plan as much as possible. Super. Okay. So you generally think that SEOs have a better understanding of ROI and um, the actual financial impact of what they're doing nowadays? I think they almost have to if they're worth their salt and they want to be kept around uh, long term, either in the organization or as an agency. Um, more businesses, particularly, you know, we've all heard about the layoffs and the macroeconomic climate. You have to prove your value in terms of, again, revenue, sales, <laughs> uh, and then customer, you know, lifetime value over time. I think those are the most important things. And I mean, also just sticking this just for a second there, if an SEO perhaps has to deal with perhaps unrealistic expectations from a client, if they're um, expecting uh, an incredible amount of ROI in a short period of time, How would you advise that SEO to push back and manage those expectations a little bit more effectively? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is you don't have to be a data scientist to understand how to forecast or plan at a basic level. And that might be as simple as saying, you know, you have this keyword positioning, you have this much organic traffic to date. Let's work together to understand in 14 months what that revenue sourced might be like. But the first KPIs in the first month should be impressions and clicks and keyword movement. And so if the client's like next month, I want more revenue, but they're getting zero users from organic or any target keywords, then obviously the expectation setting there is to say, hey, the appropriate KPIs for the short term are content publishing and indexation 
impressions, clicks, and uh, keyword movement, right? So, but you yourself have to be informed about those KPIs at each, you know, how they affect to leads and sales and into pipeline. And if you're not, you're really just saying, you know, don't don't treat me this way, or I want my money without being uh, held accountable for it. So I would just say, be really familiar with forecasting and understand how to work backwards from their target objectives, and then you can set expectations really well. That's a great piece of advice, actually, because I, I think many less experienced SEOs would be tempted to draw a, a, a straight line from where they are at the moment to where the client wants to be in maybe 12 months time or so, and then figure out, okay, well, um, halfway of, of reaching where they want to be from an ROI perspective is instead of two X is just one X. Uh, but that's not how it works, of course, because all the work um, of potentially getting to maybe a top three position in half the time is only going to take them to maybe page two and hardly any click-throughs, um, hardly any SERP views, um, but um, the back process, is it, it's actually working. So you must find some other metric uh, to demonstrate that the destination that you're trying to achieve, um, you're actually well on the way to, to, to achieving that. Bingo. And not only the metrics and KPI tra- uh, you know, tracking against their overarching goals, you're the expert as far as what tactics do we need to do to get us there. So like, if they want to, you know, be in position one for a certain term, but your competitive analysis says that they all have 400 linking domains to get to that page first page, and your client has zero to their page that's ranking, building one link a month, right, right, in two months, you're not going to get there, just do the math, right, if you do a gap analysis. So yeah, setting those expectations with what tactics they need to do to get there can really help you make your case. And if they're not willing to like, let's say, expand budget, but you know, it's a really competitive space, and you can show them those gaps, just say, hey, that's fine, if you want to expand budget, but we're going to get half as quickly to the result that you want, right? So we can make informed decisions that way. And the number two thing that an SEO must need to know about growth planning is you must understand the client's business model and sales process as well as they do. Yeah, this this is a one that I've personally made a ton of mistakes on in the past. So I learned this from experience, not just sitting on my you know high horse here. But the best way I can illustrate it is, again, we, we focus on the tactics, we publish a bunch of content, build a bunch of links, we drive a ton of traffic. Yay, everybody's high-fiving. Clients got 200x organic traffic coming in. But you look into their sales pipeline and they've closed zero deals from organic. Is that a celebratory, you know, reason for celebration for the client? Absolutely not. And so what I mean by that is at the beginning of the process, instead of just like thinking about keywords in terms of this keyword sounds good, one thing that I do personally is have the client give it a priority score from a business standpoint of this is what has the shortest sales cycle or makes us the most money on average from a customer lifetime value standpoint. So if you can understand their priorities as far as their product and service, what they want to be known as in the market, and then match that to your keyword opportunities, what you'll find is that even if their traffic doesn't explode the people that are coming to the site are much more likely to become customers and give your client or in-house you know, team um, money versus just driving traffic for the sake of traffic. So what it does is it helps the, the traffic that gets to the site. It's much more likely to convert and do, you know, again, those really juicy business metrics that we all want. And talking about keyword priority, your point number three is every keyword priority or topical focus must be centered around the client's right to own. Yeah, right to own is a metric I throw around a lot internally. All, all it means is if we were to target this for this client at this stage of their growth with all of the assets they currently have, what's the likelihood that in a reasonably short you know, or straightforward period of time, 
they're going to be able to not only rank well, but again, drive qualified opportunities and traffic to the website. And so a few of the metrics that go into that are not just keyword volume and opportunity score. Those are all things that, you know, tools give us available uh, freely and available, you know, are available to us. What I recommend is diving deeper and saying, does a client have, and you can do this mathematically or you can just do it manually. Is a client already ranking for this? Is everyone in the space an expert like we are. Does the client, you know, again, that priority score, did they give it a high priority score? In aid, if you look in uh, Google Search Console, um, what's the average position? Is it 100? Is it 10? So you can take all of those metrics that you find in the tools like volume and keyword difficulty and click-through percentage, and all you have to do is bolt on a few different things that matter to you and the client, and that's one way you can determine, you know, do and I say right to own, but it's really, is this going to perform well for them over time? Like how confident can we become about that? So for us, we know hanging our hat on SaaS SEO agency or B2B SEO agency is our future. And that's what we, why we know that we, you know, might particularly have the right to own for that. Okay. And, and, I was thinking that you're going to be talking about expertise and um, whether or not you've demonstrated trust and uh, bringing in perhaps Google's Eat at this stage to to demonstrate that you do have the the right to rank for those sorts of terms. Is is that part of this as well? So that's part of the um, the optimization phase after you've de- determined the priority or the determined that you have the right to own. But for us, we actually have the right to own planning like during onboarding. That's even before we start to uh, deploy any tactics because again. We don't want to get eight months down the road and realize our North, our tactics have been great, but our strategic North Star was broken all along because, again, we're going to drive traffic that isn't as meaningful to the business. But you're 100% correct that it should be something within your wheelhouse, how you want to be positioned in the market and your expertise. And the fourth thing that SEOs need to know, know about growth planning, plan campaign tactics for short-term, mid-term and long-term value. Yeah, this one's, I guess, unique to us as well, but um, something I think everyone should consider is just, you know, it's very easy for us to look at a client and say, hey, it'll take 14 months when they're paying us $10,000 a month, but their CFOs looking at their, you know, their P&L every month, sweating bullets. And so what I always recommend to our strategists and do myself is what are the low hanging fruit wins that we can show traction right up front within a few months that benefits our clients? What's our long-term vision of, again, where do we want to end up when everybody's high-fiving 14 months, they're driving new business to the site? How's that going to happen? And then in the midterm, that might be we have some content that's really been hanging around page two or three for really priority terms. It's not going to happen in the next two months, but we should be making serious progress over the next six or so. And so what that does is it gives you a reason to stick around in the short term, like you're showing value up front and nobody questions the progress. But long term, you can still help them understand that the game that we play does take time and we want to get you to a good place. Just know that it's going to take a little bit of time. So it's giving them something up front, but uh, continuing being a good partner for the long term. Right. Okay. And I'm imagining that this ties back to perhaps cost per conversion. And and maybe what you're able to do here is say that um, your cost per conversion is going to be higher um, after three months and it's you're, you're, you're looking to get it lower after six months and, and 12 months. Um, is, is that a metric that um, clients are, are keen to measure against? Yeah. So mid to long term, as far as we have a we've got a life cycle of what KPIs we're going to help the client with and how we're going to be responsible over time. And right around that six to eight month mark, um, you know, cost per acquisition, how many qualified leads they're getting, if they've gotten any customers, you know, what type of customers are those. But that's exactly right. And short term might be as simple as 
page load performance was taking four seconds. But within the first week, we prioritized that because we know that when you decrease load performance, people convert more. I mean, that's just, that's been proven over and over again. So that might be one of the examples of like low hanging fruit, twice as many people might convert in the short term. We can do that very quickly versus long term. We're going after this huge, you know, head term that's really competitive. That's not going to happen overnight. I remember a metric from a long time ago. I was just trying to look it up there when you were talking there. Um, it was something like um, Amazon, uh, an engineer, I think, um, released unintentionally from Amazon some kind of metric that um, every 100 millisecond improvement in web page speed um, got X percent uh, improvement in, in, in conversions. I didn't remember the metric off the top of my head because it was so long ago. I think this was from about 2007, 2008 or so. Um, but are you aware of any metrics like that, that, um, you, that you can say if you improve your page speed by X percent, then perhaps um, we've seen in the past um, different clients improve their conversion rate by X, Y percent? I should have, I mean, I know for a fact that that's listed on our site. I did a a big study on like different metrics that um, SEOs can use. And that's one of them. Uh, I think it's called like SEO statistics or B2B SEO statistics, but I forget off the top of my head, but you're right. That was the Amazon study and it increased, it was like, I don't know, it was like one to $3 million of an improvement as well or something. Here we go. I've got, got it in front of me here. That, that was a horrible question, Jess. You just, just off the cuff, <laughs> wasn't good. it? Um, but the survey was Amazon found that every 100 milliseconds of latency cost them 1% in sales. Um, so it was the opposite way around. Yeah. So basically 0.1 of a second cost them 1% of sales, which is massive. It was That's a long time ago, but dollars. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it still applies. So let's move on to number five. And that is monthly and quarterly analytics and attribution analysis is the best way to make good decisions about strategy. Yeah, um, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but a lot of this is our own systems. And this is the way that I think about the world. But used to get clients that wanted uh, weekly performance reporting updates when a piece of content took two weeks to get indexed. And so we got this weird mismatch of expectations versus what we could actually do. And there was nothing wrong with the strategy, but because of the the client's sentiment, it seemed like the campaign wasn't going well. So my workaround for that, especially for our team was, you know, we do deploy things on a monthly basis and we do check certain metrics, but um, changing, you know, based on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, you know, especially with all the volatility that we've seen lately, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, Like changing a strategy every two weeks would be silly. So to me, it's like we plan, you know, a lot of companies have QBRs. So that's what we do for a quarterly basis or even a yearly basis at a high level. That's what you're like, let's say if you're focused on one uh, keyword hub, for instance, that corresponds to a business unit that that they want to prop up. But the monthly, you know, what you're looking at is really are the tactics that we're deploying like, are those working well towards that quarterly or yearly goal? Um, but I don't think you should be changing the strategy very often because there is a, you know, there's a lag time to see if it's actually working or not. And being overreactive to day-to-day fluctuations, week-to-week fluctuations, I think ends up shooting people in the foot and used to drive me crazy. <laughs> What's best practice in terms of attribution models nowadays? Because they've been around for a while. Um, you, you can obviously have different kind of linear focus on last click, first click, and um, uh, everything in between. But um, I mean, do you think that any particular model tends to 
better reflect um, something for a particular industry, for example? I mean, do you do an owner industry and then suggest an attribution model based on that? Do you have clients that favor certain ways of measuring things? Or what's best practice at the moment? Yeah, so I can speak to, you know, I'll let all my uh, marketing and RevOps people, uh, you know, chime in on this, but I'll sort of answer that the two ways that we do. So, and within an SEO context for like Google ads right now, they have data driven. So, I mean, that just does its own black box magic of attribution. But for SEO purposes, what we're really trying to do is understand which keywords relate to what pages, which of those pages contributed to a lead. And then when that goes into somebody's CRM, when do they, when and how do they become a customer? And so there's no way that I know of to connect keywords to revenue in an automated fashion that isn't a custom solution. But the way that we get around that is by saying during the sales process, you know, most people have a form that asks how you heard about us. We recommend to our clients and we do for ourselves that that is a required field that's unstructured. So they type in whatever they want. The salesperson, and this is really good CRM hygiene needed, obviously, but we have B2B clients with, you know, normal uh, longer sales cycles. They take that phrase, dive into it on the first discovery call, put that in the CRM, and then we can merge the data from like Google Analytics and HubSpot Analytics. And so we know that somebody came into the site as their first viewed page, you know, from the source, let's say it's organic or search. And then that's confirmed by the the client or the prospect when they say, I typed something in and found you, this is what it was. And so it's not perfect attribution, but what it does actually do is say, okay, we've confirmed that it's search versus those other models try to guess if that was their second or third touch. They're not, you know, HubSpot in particular, let's say, they're not always going to get it right, but the client usually gives good insight into their customer journey, which to us is important. But we still have the data from the analytics that says, and this is how we attribute it from a you know more programmatic perspective, this was the first page from the first source that was viewed. And if it's a page that we're working on as part of the campaign, that's how we can also contribute it to it. So those two things in tandem are really how we get at that. But I don't have a specific like time decay or U-shaped. I think that's a bit outdated. And again, with cookie blocking, with all these different types of tracking blocking um, applications, I don't think that data is actually that accurate within attribution modeling with most tools anyway. So, I, I love how you started off with pages, actually, because um, it obviously shows that um, you've got a content-centric view of um, whether something is a success or not on your website. You can see how long people are on a page, what they're doing on the page, how they're interacting with it. Um, and at the end of the day, you know which channels are referring. I think many people would probably start off from a channel perspective approach and and say that people tend to first of all discover us through SEO and then perhaps use PPC to search our brand name but um that that is a fairly one-dimensional and not a a full picture of what the user actually does and at the end of the day content is everything that they engage with and even from a paid perspective content is 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 key to whether or not they decide to stay and do business with you does does that make sense in terms of how you, how you approach things? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're you're you know you're hitting the nail on the head, right? It's like if somebody went to a conference and then looked at your LinkedIn and then typed in your brand name, that would get attributed as search in Google Analytics and in HubSpot. That would get uh, attributed as um, search because even your brand name is considered a query instead of branded search, right? And so if somebody purely looked at the data, they'd be like, "Look at how awesome we did." 
<laughs> with our, you know, our SEO, but it's like it was a branded query. So why would you consider that dis- the, their point of discovery? But that's what I mentioned about, you know, the sales call on the form being able to dive in further. And maybe you do want to attribute that half to LinkedIn and half to, you know, search. But what I would contribute that to is the event or our LinkedIn profile or all three. But you don't get to know that unless you dive in beyond, you know, pure, simple channel-based attribution, which, so you're exactly right. And uh, it's much more about that. And at the end of the day, if the keywords are increasing proportionate to we see those organic qualified opportunities and sales, really showing that uh, connection to the client is important versus trying to get credit, quote unquote. That's why we say we're a trusted advisor, not just an SEO agency. We want to help everybody grow, um, you know, through as many channels as we can. (laughs) I think that's a much better game than just trying to knit and pick at every one SQL that comes in through SEO. So. Now, the sixth and final point that you're actually highlighting today as to um, what SEOs should be aware of when it comes to growth planning is stay in close communication with your clients about their ever-changing business priorities. Yeah, a, a really good example would be recently, you know, we have a lot of B2B, you know, SaaS companies. And so Silicon Valley Bank Uh, for everybody who's in the States and is aware of that, particularly like it went, you know, there was that scare. um, And so a lot of our clients were running around and there was some, there was a lot of shakeup in that industry. And so our, our focus shifted from SEO to what was the experience on the site? And then do we have enough leads in your pipeline to hold you over until things start slowing down? And we actually recommended to one client that they do some outbound on LinkedIn in the short term. Is that the model of our agency? Not necessarily, but again, as their growth advisor, their revenue partner, that's the right thing to have insight to and suggest for them. Getting them clarity on their CRM implementation because they didn't know where their their revenue was exactly coming from at the, at the time they started. They were pretty pretty new client. And so diving into their CRM for free and consulting on, hey, these are actually what channels this is coming from. This is actually how much revenue you source to date. So let's pour some gasoline on this channel and remove this one. So nothing to do with SEO, but staying close to clients, their whole business helps you integrate further with them and makes you stickier as a business versus just providing one service to one channel. And when you learn about the other parts of their business, you can actually provide your service in a better way that's much more in depth. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And if you're really ethical with saying something like, actually, what I do, what I provide as a service is probably not appropriate for you at the moment. Um, I've had a look at what you're doing and what you should probably focus on is this at the moment, do that for three months, then come back to me, then give me a shout and then I can help you out. And then they'll really trust you more and hopefully stay with you for the long term. Bingo. You got it, man. And that's, that's a huge value of mine is turning people away on. I do a lot of sales calls for our, our company. Same with the CEO, Alex. Uh, we're just like, yeah, you're not a good fit. You should have a team of like, you know, people emailing for right now to get enough leads or money in the bank and then reach out back to us in a year. So I totally agree. Let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your result, your results from 20% of your efforts. So what's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Yeah, I, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do a 1A, 1B. But the 1A is when I see, we work, again, with a lot of B2B technology and services companies. I see a lot of information about features of the product or things they're proud of about their service. What I don't see a lot of is solutions to people's problems. And so we've heard the term landing page, solutions pages. I think you can't have enough solutions pages. To me, 
you're trying to have a choose your own adventure game with your prospect or the user on your website. So having information about what industries you serve and how you serve them, instead of just talking about, you know, we do keyword research, say what the end result is. They get clarity on their market opportunities, right? That's an example of a solution. And building those out for every potential use case you can think, what person in the organization can get a benefit of your product or service, and how does it benefit the CEO versus the VP of marketing? So thing number one, or 1A, make as many solutions pages and as many use cases for as many types of people that you serve as possible. Throw them up, um, see how they perform. I guarantee you they will, because that's where people tend to convert um, in our sales cycles or our customer journeys on the website. And the second thing is um, link building is not dead. Just doing it in a stupid, spammy way is dead. But there is no downside to going out to what industry-respected publications and writing for them, joining a podcast like this, being on their YouTube video, and doing that. So digital PR, link building, whatever you want to call it. Build relationships with really important people that you like and want to partner with often. That's It's not a cheat code, but I guarantee it'll you know 180 your, your results if you start doing that systematically. Love it. Make your website into a choose-your-own-adventure game. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Ken Marshall over at RevenueZen.com. Ken, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thanks for having me, David. Cheers. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com.